Welcome to the Essay for FAs Retirement Advisor Podcast, a series that addresses issues of importance to financial advisors when dealing with the preeminent issue on their clients' minds, namely their desire for financial independence. I am your host, Gil Weinrich of Seeking Alpha, and today we will be speaking with Rob Isbitz, founder and chief investment strategist of Sun Garden Investment Management, a financial advisory firm based in Weston, Florida. Rob writes regularly on retirement and asset allocation issues for Forbes. And with decades of experience as a practicing financial advisor, there is much we stand to learn from him. First, though, this message. If you're a financial advisor, you should be using Seeking Alpha Premium. I'll mention just two items I personally think are valuable for advisors. Number one, advisors typically get investment research from their own broker-dealer and it's good to cross-reference that with the research available to Seeking Alpha Premium subscribers. Number two, the quantitative ratings available to premium subscribers are an incredible value add because they make it possible to compare investments with mutually consistent data. In other words, it aids in getting different investment ideas to talk to each other, as it were. These features are just the tip of the iceberg, and it costs only $240 for an annual subscription. Click on Upgrade on the top right of your Seeking Alpha homepage to see a full list of benefits and options. Rob Isbitt's website, SunGardenInvestment.com, has a lot of information about investing, financial planning, and the specific approach his firm takes. But what I was most touched by was the About page, which states, It started with a dad and a dream. I think that's a great place for us to start as well. Could you tell us about how your father influenced your career choice and what your vision was and is for the kind of work you do? Sure. And uh, thank you. It's great to be on this podcast. Uh, I'm an avid fan of the podcast, and it's great to be on the other side of the mic with you, uh, Gil. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so in my office here uh, in South Florida, just over my computer screen, I have a little plaque. Uh, which uh, surrounds a note from my late father uh, when he signed over his account paperwork when we opened Sun Garden about nine years ago. My dad was never a professional in the business, but he did love uh, the equity markets, loved investing, loved technical analysis, and taught me to chart stocks when I was 16 years old. Uh, so I'm celebrating the 40th anniversary of my uh, career, if you will, as a technician. We started uh, Sun Garden after you know, a couple of other stops along the way in my uh, career. Uh, my wife and I started it really with the idea that, that uh, we felt like uh, our best capability was delivering boutique service, but with investment management being the differentiator. And it's not so much, oh, who can get the best returns? Because I think if there's anything that I found in my now 34-year career in this industry, it's that the best return for someone, the best result for any client, especially a baby boomer or a retiree, is not shooting for the stars. It's getting them what they need. And, and it's more a matter of sufficiency uh, than, uh, than trying to show off by making the most one year only to lose the most the next year. And so that really starting in the late 90s, maybe about a dozen years into my career, uh, I started to become uh, what I now call a hedge investor. In fact, we're 
uh, just about to launch a site for financial advisors based on that uh, 30 years of, uh, of work called thehedgeinvestor.com. So I was thinking about this in anticipation of speaking with you today. Uh, and if you don't mind, uh, just a, a quick analogy. By all means, go right ahead. So boomers, you know, baby boomers in particular, and those are already retired, uh, they're on a, a retirement journey of sorts. And to me, this is a lot like you're driving and you're trying to get somewhere, you're on the highway, it might be hours away, and unless you hit major traffic, you don't have to do anything more than really cap the brakes. So what if you realize that your car's brakes don't work very well? You're not going to be able to slow down without the brake. And now your exit's coming up, and you don't know if the brakes are going to work. And I feel like for a lot of folks who have been successful as investors, as I call them, the, the 90 percenters, the 90 percent of the way toward being financially retired, my concern is trying to appeal to those folks and particularly to their advisors who support them and say, your client may not care that the brakes don't work, but they're going to have to get off that highway at some point and they're going to have to slow it down. And my concern is that maybe they're not going quite as far to make sure the brakes work. And that's what really hedge investing is all about in kind of a non-financial sense. And that's really what my dad taught me from a, a very young age. It's a great lesson. So I infer from some of what you're saying that you have a very specific clientele and that they're mainly boomers. Is that right? That's right. They're boomers or maybe a bit older, a bit younger, but my average age is, is probably right around uh, 60 so based on your specific experience with your own clientele, what kinds of conversations should advisors have with these clients, assuming similar demographics? You start to become a, a pre-retired or you're in retirement. It's so much more important to know in advance what your likely expected range of outcomes would be. And you know, there are software tools that help to do this, but it's beyond software tools. It's a, it's a human conversation. And I think it really comes down to trying to get each client and their family into a comfort zone. So bring it back to the individual family client and how the advisor operates with them. If their focus is retirement, you need to squeeze the range of possible outcomes down, and then you need to figure out what tools of the trade that you can use most effectively to keep them in that range. And it's not a market timing game at all. It, it is just a matter of setting your own long-term target and a comfort zone around that. Otherwise, the markets might wreak havoc on it, and you don't want this inanimate object called the financial markets to screw up your clients' plans because they just work too hard to get there and you work too hard to get your practice there. And oh, let's not forget, there's a, another side benefit to this for the advisor. You know, one thing I can say about my practice over time is that the assets under management don't fluctuate as wildly as maybe some others do because of the investment style. Now, a lot of that descends from the type of client that I've gravitated to and that has gravitated to me over the years. It's a, a sort of aggressive capital preservation oriented client, then they want to make as much as they can. But that makes it so that, you know, if you're managing X one year, uh, a, a year later, you're not going to be managing X minus 20 or 30 percent. 
uh, and I have to explain to the client, oh, well, you know, the market's down. So you know, it's happening to everybody. As Mike Tyson uh, famously said, uh, everybody has a, a plan until they get punched in the face. Sounds like you're trying to keep them from getting punched. Well, maybe you could help us by answering this question. You described yourself earlier, very nicely, I thought, as a serial learner. What do retirement savers need to learn? Mm, great question. So they need to prioritize absolute return over relative return. That doesn't mean that in every environment, every week, every month, even every year, they don't necessarily have a positive return. But if you get to the point where you know, a great year is 15 and a lousy year is minus seven, just to throw you know, sample numbers at it, okay? That's a lot better than they're likely to get. And that includes the 60-40 stuff because you know, I'm, I'm about to update a research study that I did several years ago on this. But your odds of making at least four, five, six, seven, eight percent a year over a multi-year period compounded is higher with a hedged portfolio that starts with equities and takes out you know, the biggest fear factor as opposed to the old 60, 40, 40, 60 or just straight equities or fixed income. So that is not absolute return in that you're positive all the time but you're at least within striking distance of positive. And I think it was uh, uh, Med Faber uh, on your podcast not too long ago who was talking about that, you know, the classic mathematics of loss. You lose 20%, you have to make a lot more than 20% to get back to even. And who wants to get back to even after, you know, three, five, 10 years, uh, you know, that, that, that's not worth paying the advisor for. So absolute over relative, but, but in the modified sense that I just mentioned. Uh, I think they need to... Always be thinking about what they would do and what their plan would be for a secular bear market. That's not just in stocks, but in bonds, because I think we might already be in a secular bear market for bonds. Uh, in other words, over the next decade or so, I think it's much more likely that rates will be in the same range, which is pretty darn low, or higher. Uh, and people of this generation don't realize because they haven't experienced it, that you can lose a ton of money in fixed income if rates go up uh, on, a, on a regular basis for multiple years at a time. Uh, the next thing I think is, uh, so you know, they have to understand what the end of the bond bull market means. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a complete game changer and it should be for advisors also. And it's why we tend to try to get our income from Stocks that pay dividends, uh, but not just buying and holding them, but trying to be tactical uh, with with those with those dividends. Uh, that that's one of the wrinkles that's sort of gone in my investment game plan over the last decade. As these clients got to the point where they were no longer just prudent, moderate risk savers, but turning the page and getting to the point where income alongside lower volatility. Uh, was was a priority for them. Uh, I think uh, uh, investors today also, and, and certainly advisors uh, advising them, there is an inevitability of deficits and debt, the government level, the consumer level, to some degree at the corporate level. I like to cite the fact that uh, over 50% of the bonds in uh, bond mutual funds uh, now, uh, in investment grade funds, uh, over 50% of the investment grade uh, bond fund holdings are in triple Bs. In other words, they're, they're shifting all the way down to the lowest possible level. So what happens if you get 
some downgrades from triple B to double B. Well, those funds by mandate, a lot of them are going to have to sell a lot of those bonds. I think the other thing is really understanding how new market players impact your retirement goals. I am speaking of the algorithms. I am speaking of the hedge funds have been around for a while, uh, the high frequency trader types, uh, and just the general mentality that develops when people get overconfident late in cycles. I don't know when it's going to end. I just know that I have a plan for when it ultimately ends. That's the short list. And I think it all comes down to always looking for what is next and not being satisfied with how your portfolio is, is doing and understanding that returns today really have to be engineered much more so than they were in the past. That's another way of saying buy and holding from here. It might work, but for, uh, yeah, we keep something uh, uh, here uh, called the Investment Climate Indicator. And uh, back in January of 2018, it went to Stormy, which is the most severe of, of four weather-related gradients. So we've been at Stormy, and that doesn't mean, oh, stocks are going to fall. It just means that when you take on the task of generating return, it's coming with more risk than it has at any point in the last eight to 10 years. That's what I believe just based on the data that I run. And so, you know, we keep innovating in the investment process. And I mean, frankly, that's what a lot of the hedgeinvestor.com website will be about, um, uh, but also a place for advisors to collaborate with, uh, with each other in kind of a closed door uh, environment. We, we've been talking a lot about accumulation, but can you talk to us about your general approach to portfolio withdrawals for retirees who need to take income? Yes. I think the prerequisite for having confidence in any withdrawal plan is having the confidence that you're going to, as we say here, number one rule of investing, that uh, you're going to ABL. I'm guessing you don't know what ABL is, unless you've maybe... I don't know. The ABL here is avoid the big loss. (laughs) So, you know, we could line up 20 investors and ask them what a big loss is, quote unquote. And we'd probably get 20 different answers. So I think that avoiding the big loss and making it so that even in the years where the total return is not that high, it won't be that low. The second thing is something that I've been actually uh, working on uh, with a group called uh, S-Network Indexes, which is taking my dividend approach to investing and kind of indexizing it. Uh, and and using it as, uh, uh, let's say, more of a research tool. If you're going to have a steady withdrawal rate, it really helps to know that some of it's going to come from cash-on-cash income. And I know it isn't very sexy today, you know, with the FANG stocks uh, running amok, uh, but income investing is something that people can fall back on. Maybe it's not going to be 100% of your portfolio, but if it's not going to be bonds, uh, and it really can't be at these rates unless you want to reach for yield and then you have you know, a lower quality uh, bond uh, issue uh, problem. You need to look at equities, uh, but you can't simply buy and hold them. I, I think that that's okay for total return. But what I'm favoring is taking whatever uh, income-based withdrawal approach you have and using a combination of the dividend X calendar, technical analysis, which you know, I'm 40 years in on that, and uh, whatever fundamental discipline you have and coming up with a repeatable process to try to identify ways that 
you can squeeze more income, more dividend income out of a portfolio. And the bottom line, Gil, I guess, is if you look at a bunch of stocks that you follow and uh, they yield you know, 2 to 4%, uh, with a little bit of tactical management and some risk management along the way, uh, I truly believe that you can squeeze uh, a dividend yield uh, at the upper end or much higher than that uh, range I just gave you uh, without putting a lot of capital at risk. And, uh, you know, and that's something that we've, we've set out to do in some client portfolios. But I think that's, if we're talking about this maybe two, three years from now, I think you'll find it's, it's a bit more mainstream, certainly in, in, uh, in, in our practice here. A more active approach to generating dividend income. Interesting. Switching gears a little bit, in a recent article of yours on Forbes about protecting and capitalizing from market volatility, which is relevant to what we were just speaking about, mm-hmm. you made one comment I found particularly intriguing. You wrote that investors should be supremely humble and devoid of greed and remain focused on balancing reward and risk properly at all times. I think you're right that there's a character element to investing. Could you explain how investors are to reflect this humility in their investing? I mean, for those of us who've been through 87 uh, crash, 1990 recession, dot-com era, and the financial crisis, those are kind of the big four in in my uh, career. People act a certain way when you're at the extremes. And I do see a lot of signs of that, and it concerns me. It doesn't concern me for the folks that you know I interact with directly, but it concerns me because it's so easy to forget history. And, and especially, look, for those of us who are practitioners, okay, we, we have this muscle memory, okay, or as they say in baseball, twitch response, which is how, you know, how they're able to hit a fastball when they have like a quarter of a second to, to, uh, to, to figure out whether they're going to swing or not. Uh, we have that twitch response from having been this uh, through through so many you know battles and ups and downs over the year. We we as advisors, and you can't expect the investor to have that. And so you have to be able to find effective ways to make them understand that they shouldn't be so highly confident. Uh, the old you know, there's bulls, bears, and pigs. You know, uh, bulls and bears can make money, pigs get slaughtered, and there's, I think as they get closer to retirement, they do have to make these adjustments. And I mean, how do you teach humility as an investor? What I try to do in the Forbes column and hedge investor is, is try to just bring some sort of straight through clarity and data, and a little bit of analytics, hopefully without being too wonky. And then again, it goes back to 16 years old and you know, my dad teaching me, here's how to make money, but do it in a defensive manner. It started with a dad and a dream, but it continues with new generations of aspiring investors making the necessary sacrifices to achieve their futures. Rob Ispitz, thank you for taking the time to share your experience with our audience. What a pleasure. Thank you, Gil. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast of value, I would be much obliged if you would pass it on to other advisors to keep this FA project growing. Also, feel free to contact me at gil at seekingalpha.com with any feedback. This is Seeking Alpha's Gil Weinrich.